Episode 49 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on August 7th, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week on the show, unassembled components have been on everybody's mind. Changes are coming, but are they the changes we want, or are they the changes we need, or neither? Server merges is a topic that just won't go away. I'll tell you what Keith had to say about them this week. Also this week, I'll talk about Planetary Conquest, the good, the bad, and what can be done to fix it. Spoiler alert, you'll probably hate my suggestions. Finally, is Darth Malgus poised to make a return in Crisis on Umbara? I have no idea, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 49 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have a terrific show lined up for you today. As always, let's review some announcements for the Old Republic. First up, we've done it. Believe it or not, the State of the Old Republic podcast is officially one year old. I released episode one on August 5th, 2016. Whether this is your first episode or your 49th, I thank you for listening. I look forward to this next year and hope for bigger and better things to come. Now I know what you're thinking. If this is a weekly podcast and you're one year old now, shouldn't this be episode 52? Well, I like to step away from the keyboard from time to time, so I miss a week here and there. Speaking of which, my plan right now is to release episode 50 on August 15th, and then I'm on vacation for a couple of weeks, so episode 51 might not happen until September 5th. This summer, like this whole year, has just gone by really fast. And speaking of summer going by fast, the summer of SWOTOR is starting to wind down. The Narshada Nightlife event has less than a month before the greedy hut casino bosses take your money and head off to one of the many hut pleasure worlds. Be sure to go out and get some more decorations for your Manan retreat and for your soon-to-be Umbara stronghold. And remember, the vendor that sells the event items is always around, so you don't have to worry about spending your certificates. You can do that anytime. What you don't want to do is have the event end while you're holding on to a pile of smuggler and kingpin chips, so spend them before it's too late. The nightlife event will end on August 22nd with the release of game update 5.4, Crisis on Umbara. And that's it. There are no other in-game events on the horizon right now, so let's slice the holonet and review the news this week. And first up, Bioware released their proposed changes to lethality operatives and ruffian scoundrels. Now, I don't play either of those, so I'm not going to spend any time talking about the changes other than to say they were nerfed. However, the initial reaction is calm. I've seen the word reasonable used to describe the changes, so at least for now, it doesn't look like the sky is falling. Now we just need Bioware to go back and take another look at the mercenary DPS changes so we too can use the word reasonable to describe them. There are changes coming to unassembled components in game update 5.4. They're not the changes we want, but perhaps they're the changes we need. Eric Musco laid out their goals for unassembled components, and this is what they have planned. They want to increase the overall components a character can get each week via missions. They want to increase the incentive for ranked war zones to increase participation and to ensure it's being properly rewarded compared to unranked. 
and they want to shift some of the rewards from the daily missions into weekly missions so it is less punishing if you miss a day. And here are the specifics that they have planned for game update 5.4. For unranked, the overall component rewards earned each week is going to remain unchanged. However, the daily missions will now reward 10 components down from 12 and the weekly mission will now reward 54 components up from 40. And again, the max number of components you receive is going to stay exactly where it is today. Now for ranked, there are significant changes coming to the, to the various missions. Uh, for the solo daily, it's going to reward 15 components down from 16. For the solo weekly, it will reward 100 components up from 30. The group daily will reward 30 components up from 20 and the group weekly will reward 200 components up from 60. Eric went on to say that it is worth noting that the command XP values of almost all of these missions have been buffed. The same is true of the ranked season tokens that you earn from the ranked missions. So those are all the changes coming to the ranked and unranked missions uh, in game update 5.4. Now I know everyone was hoping that unassembled components would become legacy-wide currency, and that will happen but it's going to be part of a larger change to make all currencies legacy-wide, which is why it's not happening now. As far as the unranked changes go, it's still 124 unassembled components per week if you do the missions every day. Obviously, putting more of the components into the weekly does mean you miss out less if you don't PvP every day. So it's not bad, but I think an increase in overall components is what was needed, especially if PvP is your primary activity. Now, as far as ranked goes, those are some pretty big increases. Will it be enough for people to start running ranked? And if they do, will ranked PvP be better? Or will it now be worse because you have people who perhaps aren't very good at PvP now jumping in? I don't play ranked PvP, so I don't know what it's like now, and I honestly don't know how this will change things. So I'm going to move on here, but if you are someone who does ranked PvP, hey, let me know what you think about the changes, and I'll perhaps talk about it in another episode. Now, another topic that just won't seem to go away is server merges. Shintar and I talked about them last week, and Keith hopped on the forums again this week to share some more thoughts on the subject. A player asked about the impact to guilds, and here's what he said. For the specific guild issues you've raised, we would need to ensure the entire guild, their flagship slash decorations, bank, tabs, items, and stronghold slash decorations remain 100% intact. The goal would be for the guild members to notice absolutely nothing different, and this means any returning players would still be in your guild unless you specifically remove them. Bottom line for your guild would be making sure we protect all your hard work. Now, Keith went on to also talk about the possibility of players losing their character names, and this is what he said. The losing of character names is one of the key points we are still discussing. We know there's a variety of issues to resolve, including, but not limited to, name collisions, establishing a priority system, purging of old names beforehand, and players attempting to reserve names. We all have character names we want to preserve, so this is a key factor in the overall decision. So let's talk about uh, freeing up names for a moment. So one way to do this is to just look at characters and say that any character that hasn't logged into the game in a year or more is going to have their name removed. Now, if they announce that ahead of time, it gives active players a chance to keep the names uh, by just logging in. And this ensure, ensures that any unsubscribed or inactive players are primarily the ones getting hit. At the end of the day, you want to free up names from characters that aren't 
being used, and it could be as simple as that. Of course, this just frees up some of the names, and it doesn't solve the issue with two or more active players sharing the same name or even yourself. You might have characters with the same name on different servers that will now be merged, and this is certainly less worse than another player having it, but it is a problem nonetheless. And one of the things Keith mentioned is establishing a priority system. And I assume this means a priority system for keeping names. But uh, number one, this implies that they don't have a way for everyone to keep their names. And they also feel that not everyone should be forced to give up their names. So how do they create a priority system? I think there are a couple of things you could do. You could start with subscribers. You could then look at the age of the accounts or the length of the subscription. How many active days have you been subscribed? You could also look at the age of the characters and say the oldest one wins. None of these ideas are perfect, by the way. For example, oldest one wins. If someone created their character on day one and named it Bob and someone created their character on day two and also named it Bob, those players pretty much have had those names for the same amount of time and seeing one of them have to give it up is sad. A priority system is probably better, though, than a free-for-all where you would need to log on the moment the merge happens and the servers are up. I would seriously consider taking a day off and making sure I was home for that moment to try and ensure that I get to keep the names that I want. I have to say, though, I am terrible when it comes to naming characters. I have 23 characters in Shadowlands and only one where I'd cry if I lost the name. It's my main tune and friends know me by that name. It's something I'm associated with in my circle of friends and I'd hate to lose it. There are also a couple of names that I had at one time, but I deleted the characters and lost the names and I would love to get them back. So if there were a purge, it'd be something I'd keep an eye out for. And then I have about 10 characters that I'd love to rename. I would actively pray that in the event of a server merge, I would be forced to rename them upon logging on. The big takeaway here is they're starting to talk about server merges. They're responding to questions about it, and I think they're seriously considering a server merge. That doesn't mean it will happen, but they're clearly spending time in figuring it all out. And if they figure it out, it could very well happen. I think there's a lot more to come on this in the next few months. Moving on now, I want to talk about planetary conquest. Okay, so what is conquest? Well, it's a system similar to Galactic Command in that you earn points for doing specific activities. These can range from crafting to PvP to running group finder operations. Conquest is a weekly event that runs from Tuesday to Monday. Each week there are a new set of objectives and planets to invade. There are individual conquests and there are guild conquests and they are related You do activities and you earn individual points, which then contribute to your guild's overall points. Conquest is a weekly event that runs from Tuesday to Monday. Each week, there are a new set of objectives and planets to invade. Most conquests require you to earn 20,000 points, and when you hit that mark, you earn a reward in the form of CXP, credits, some decorations, and crafting materials. Once you hit your personal conquest, you can continue doing activities and contribute to your guild's points. Some activities are repeatable and some are not. If it's repeatable, you can complete it over and over as many times as you want and on as many tunes as you want. If the activity is not repeatable, then once you complete that objective, you are done for the week and the tune that completed the objective gets the points. You can start it on one tune and finish it on another. At the end of Conquest, if your guild finishes in the top 10 for the planet, it's invading, you'll get the guild reward for the week, which is the same as the individual awards plus some guild flagship components. And if your guild finishes in the top spot for the planet you've invaded, 
you'll get achievements and titles, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. It's not a bad system, but like everything else, it's far from perfect. The good is that it gives guilds something to focus on each week. As I said, the activities typically include PvP, group finder ops, flashpoints, and uprisings. They also include activities such as killing specific world bosses. In fact, in one of her recent blog posts, I seem to recall Shintar asking, why would anyone want to kill world bosses these days? Well, one answer is conquest. My guild often puts groups together to kill world bosses for conquest. Not only that, but we form groups to invade enemy bases and kill commanders. Conquest is a great way for guilds to get together and organize activities for their members each week. The downside to this system is that it favors large guilds and does not allow for parity. And the problem with this is that guilds come in all shapes and sizes, and most servers have large guilds that participate in conquest week in and week out. So it is not uncommon to see the same guilds topping the leaderboard week in and week out. Now, most guilds only invade a single planet each week, so it is possible to go where they don't. You know, if they zig, you can zag. Now, I haven't looked at the state of conquest on all of the servers, but I know that Harbinger has the worst case scenario for conquest and that there is a guild, most people know it, Bloodbath and Beyond, that has several sister guilds and they work as a single unit and basically conquer every planet every week. Because of their ability to organize and completely dominate the system, it's not a lot of fun for the other guilds vying for the achievements and titles. And that's really the main issue here. People would like to get those, but they don't have a shot at it. Bloodbath and Beyond tends to win by 20 million points or more over its competitors. And if you go down the leaderboards, you'll find that in many cases, the 2, 3, and 4 spots are somewhat close. So what can be done about this? I'm not sure that there's a great solution. You could look at implementing crazy rules, such as if you leave a guild in the middle of a conquest, the guild loses its points. Likewise, if you join a guild, you can't contribute to their points until next week. You could make the whole system legacy-wide. You could look at point scaling. In the end, each of these things just makes it more complicated, and it introduces additional problems, including barriers for players joining a guild, regardless of its size, and wanting to participate and contribute right away. Now, I am not a fan of participation trophies, but one solution is to redefine what winning is and to award the achievements and titles to the top three guilds instead of just the number one. After all, these are big planets. Let's just carve them up at the end. You get a continent, you get a continent, and you get a continent. And along those lines, you could also change the guild rewards and increase what the number one guild gets. And you could also limit the temporary walker, etc., to the number one guild as well. It might feel a little hollow, but it would loosen the stranglehold that large guilds have over everybody else. And back to server mergers for a second, I think Harbinger is a great name for one of the largest servers in the game because in many ways it's an actual Harbinger for what a post-server merge world looks like. And when you look at the current state of conquest on the largest servers, ask yourselves, is this really what we want? So my final topic of the week is Darth Malgus. And quick spoiler alert before I begin, I'm going to cover details from the False Emperor storyline if you haven't played through it and don't want it to be ruined, then thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. For the rest of you, I saw a thread on the SWOTOR subreddit called Still Holding On To Hope, and it had a screenshot of Darth Malgus frozen in carbonite. Now, if you remember back at San Diego Comic-Con in 2015, there was a behind-the-scenes panel for the Knights of the Fallen Empire cinematic, and one of the things they showed was a clip of Arkin and Thexen presenting Darth Malgus frozen in carbonite to Emperor Valkorion. 
Of course, this was cut from the final version, and as far as the story is concerned, this never happened. But as the Reddit thread shows, many people remain hopeful that he'll return to the game, and like this deleted bit from the cinematic, there have been other unofficial hints that it could happen. With Crisis on Umbara coming, it's reasonable to ask, will Darth Malgus return? I honestly don't know if he's dead or alive at this point. I know that if you run the False Emperor Flashpoint in solo mode, the Malgus encounter ends with you killing him. I don't know if veteran and master modes end the same way, or if they end like it was originally designed with you blasting him off the ledge and him falling into an abyss like Palpatine and Mace Windu. If the former is now the official end of Malgus, then he's dead. End of story. I'm not sure that it is, though, but for the sake of argument, let's say that the original end of the encounter is in fact the official ending, and that Malgus survived and is poised to return in Crisis on Umbara or some other story. The big question is, in what capacity will he return? Does he want to take over the Sith Empire again? Does he want to take the Eternal Throne? Has he moved on from all of this and now seeks to aid us in some fashion? Will he be the main villain or a potential ally? After the events of the False Emperor, it's hard to imagine Malgus wanting to ally himself with our alliance, the Empire, and certainly not the Republic. But you could also make a case for our alliance wanting to bury the hatchet and work with him. If you look at the False Emperor storyline, Malgus kind of had it right. He no longer believed in the Emperor, and he was right to do so. Valkorion saw the Sith Empire as a failed endeavor, and he gave up on it. Malgus understood the Empire needed to change, and that it needed to embrace other species in order to grow and survive. If you look at the events of Makeb, you see an Empire doing just that. People like Nadrin, the Nemodian scientist, and Captain Hanthor, a Cathar officer, play key roles for the Empire. Now, was this born out of necessity rather than an open-arms policy? Sure, but it's what Malgus would have done only sooner. After the defeat of Malgus, we see a Sith Empire that's slowly moving in the direction that Malgus wanted to take it. The problem with Malgus was not his ideals, not his vision for the Empire, but the way he went about it. He just took the Empire by force at a time when it wasn't ready to move on. Even though I think Malgus was right philosophically, there's no way the Empire would accept him back into the fold, and there's no way the Republic would view him as a potential ally. I think the likely scenario is that he comes back as the big bad villain. Umbara has a history of having advanced technology. It's not clear how far back that goes, but one scenario is that Malgus found this world and conquered it in some fashion. He now possesses some of the most advanced technology in the galaxy and is now poised to take on the Empire Republic and our alliance and have his revenge. I prefer to let bygones be bygones, but that's not up to me. Crisis on Umbaro launches on August 22nd, and we'll see where the story goes and if Darth Malgus makes his return. So that's really about all I have for you this week. A little bit short, especially compared to last week. And again, I'd like to thank Shintar for coming on the podcast last week. She was terrific. Really enjoyed talking with her and hope to have her and some other folks on here again very, very soon. Uh, one last thing I did want to mention, though, I think I, I said this on one of the earlier episodes, that I purchased those new fancy blasters, the Anarchy in Mischief. I found them on the Shadowlands uh, server on the GTN for 90 million credits, and, and that's 90 million for the pair, and I just plunked down all that money and purchased them. I was a little bit apprehensive about it, because that is pretty decent chunk of change, even in today's economy, and we're and especially because we're talking about a fluff item here, but I've been, you know, keeping an eye on the various prices, and it seems to be holding up, which is to say that was a pretty good deal. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. You know, a couple weeks later, I've seen the prices, and at least on Shadowlands, I, I, I don't see many 
on Shadowlands, but even on other servers, I certainly don't see the pair of blaster, that, that pair selling for that price as a unit. So I'm overall pretty pleased with, uh, what I was able to buy them for, although I am a little bit disappointed in that they're slightly buggy. And I've actually only equipped Anarchy. I'm still hanging on to Mischief. Um, I'll probably use it, but I, I don't know, might sell it. But I like Anarchy a lot better. But there's a glitch right now, and that's is if you're wearing the blasters, if you have them equipped, and then you go into a cinematic, any kind of cinematic, like you could be talking to uh, a quest giver, for example, and going through one of those cinematics, any cinematics whatsoever, when you come out of the cinematic, the holster disappears. So you'll see, see the blaster hanging at your side, but the holster is gone, which is kind of lame because really that's the cool thing about those blasters is they come with the holster and the holster shows up on your hips. And when you equip the weapons and you pull them out, you still see the holsters there. So when you come out of the cinematic and you see the holsters gone, that's kind of disappointing. So. So that's it. I just wanted to point that out. I, I filed a bug report about it. Uh, hopefully they'll get that fixed. But, you know, for such a high quality item, you would just hope that it would work 100% as intended. But, you know, still pretty cool overall. And like I said, I feel like 90 million credits was a, what was a bargain. And speaking of a bargain, I'm going to give you about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine minutes of your life back here and go ahead and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another, oh, what does it say, 25 minutes listening to episode 49 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I really do thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SotorPodcast.com, and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions too at sotorpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 50 on August 15th. And remember the Sith Code, cake is alive.